Thank you for tuning into Stepping Stones of Faith. Stepping Stones of Faith is a ministry of Claytonville United Brethren Church. Our service times are as follows. Sunday morning Sunday school starts at 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship starts at 10.30 a.m. If you would like to join us for any of these services, our address is 106 Elizabeth Street, Claytonville, Illinois, 60926. We hope to see you this morning. We are going to continue in our study today. Micah chapter 6, page 801. So if you got your ribbon set in those red Bibles, you're right there. But 801 is in the red Bible. But Micah chapter 6, uh, if you're using your own Bibles. All righty. When we're there, say amen. All right. All right. We talked last week about the ruler of Bethlehem, Jesus Christ, and his coming and his ruling. Today we're going to be talking about the Lord's complaint against his people. Starting in verse 1, going down to verse 2. Listen to what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, that the hills may hear your voice. Hear, mountains, the indictment of the Lord. O oh, enduring foundations of the earth, that the Lord has an indictment against his people and against Israel, he will dispute. Micah pictured a court of law with Israel on trial before the Lord. In the presence of unshakable witnesses, the mountains and the hills, and the strong foundations of the earth, the court comes to order. In his court, God will bring his case, his complaint against Israel. So God is going to be judging Israel, the nation, his chosen people, the ones that he gave Precedence to. He chose them. Back when Jacob wrestled the angel, when he said his name will be called Israel, God chose them. And yet he's going to judge them. I say all that to say we are also God's chosen people, grafted in as Gentiles to the family of God. And we too deal with <clears throat> things that we shouldn't deal with. We have thoughts, we have actions and deeds that we should not partake in or think about, but yet we do because we're human. And we need to remember that if God judged his chosen people, the ones he chose, he can judge us in the same way. Should he manage, should he desire to? So it behooves us as individuals to follow God, follow after him. For us today, we talked in Galatians during Sunday school. And, at, and in that situation, that scripture, it talks in Galatians 5 that we are to walk in the spirit. So we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And that is something that for today we should be doing. Walk in the Spirit. 
be in step with the Spirit. Knowing the will of God, knowing the will of the Spirit. How do we get there? We pray. We ask God to minister to us. We ask God to touch our lives. We ask God for us to know His will. We've got to know His will in our lives. Or we too will be judged much like Israel, God's chosen people. Verses 3 through 5. My people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Answer me. For I have brought you up from the land of Egypt, and from the house of slaves I have redeemed you, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him. And remember what happened from Shittim and Gigal, Gilgal, so that you might know the righteous acts of the Lord. So he's, he's questioning them, but he's also pleading with them to remember him, to remember his righteous acts. He pulled them up out of Egypt. Egypt in the Old Testament is a type of sin or a archetype of sin. So he pulled them up out of Egypt, out of sin. For I brought you out, uh, brought you up the land of e out of the land of Egypt, and from the house of slaves I have redeemed you. How many of us know if we're bound in sin, we're slave to it? We're slave to sin. And sin can be anything that pulls us away from God, but we are slave to it. And Jesus redeems us from that slavery. And God is telling them, I have redeemed you out of the house of slavery. I have given you a freedom. And yet, and yet, what have I done to you? Why are you doing this? What have I done to you? And then he says, remember my good works. Remember the righteous acts of the Lord. Remember those things. Why should we remember? Why should we remember those things? Because those things are the things that bring us back to the knowledge that God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? If God is for us, if God is the one going through our lives with us, nothing can harm us. You might say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, there's illnesses, there's sicknesses, there's things like that. Well, guess what? There is because we live in a fallen world. But when we die as Christians, where do we end up? We end up in his presence for eternity, forever in peace and an unending joy in his presence. So nothing can hurt us even in death. As Israel stepped to the witness stand, God asked them, what have I done to you? He has done nothing but good to Israel and had been repaid with rejection and rebellion. We see that through the Old Testament, don't we? Especially in the years Moses, the 40 years wandering in the desert. We see that cycle of sin. We see that cycle of rebellion. They wanted what they wanted. God gave it to them. 
And then they would fall back into sin and they would call for a deliverer and God would deliver them and they would be good with that for a while and they'd fall back into sin and it was a cycle of sin, a cycle of rebellion. And God did things for them. God ministered to them. Not only did God do no, not do evil to Israel, he also did them an enormous amount of good. He redeemed them and gave them godly leaders. God's case against Israel was strong and Israel was guilty in the prophet's court. God did everything good for them and they repaid him with rebellion. We can ask that question of, I can ask that question of myself. We can ask that question of ourselves. What has God done for us that is good and what have we re repaid him with? We have repaid him in most cases, in most of our lives, mine included, with rebellion, with our own ways of thinking, with our own ways of doing things, with our own ways of, of dealing with situations. We have repaid God's goodness with rebellion and rejection for sake of self, for sake of what we want. God tells us to do something. Start, stop, or change something. God tells us to do that. And we do it for a while. We don't like it. Or we don't do it at all because it's uncomfortable. That's rebellion and rejection. Now, I'm not perfect at it. I'm not standing up here saying that I am. But it is rebellion and rejection. When we go back against God, when we walk away from God. And Israel had done that countless times. In Numbers 22, and 22 to 24, tells the story of Balak and Balaam. After meeting with King Balak of Moab, Balaam prophesied over Israel four times. As he spoke forth God's word, he did not curse Israel, but he blessed them each time. When he was unsuccessful in cursing Israel, Balaam answered Balak on how to bring Israel under a curse. Instead of trying to have a prophet curse them, the Moabites would lead them into fornication and idolatry, and thus God would curse idolatry and disobedient Israel. Balak did just that, sending his young women into the camp of Israel to lead Israel into sexual immorality and idolatry. Because of their sin, God did curse Israel. He brought a plague of judgment upon Israel that killed 24,000 people. Now, understand, he couldn't curse them. He couldn't put a curse on them. But he could cause them to be cursed because they chose to go into sexual immorality and idolatry. You see, here's the, here's the thing I want to get to. In 2023, the devil cannot curse you. The devil cannot cause you to sin. The devil can entice you. The devil can lead your eyes astray, your feet astray, your hands astray. 
your heart astray. And in that act of disobedience where we choose not to follow God's leading, of course the Bible says that in every temptation God gives a way out and that way out is prayer. If we choose not to pray and we embark on this sinful behavior, we are putting the curse upon ourselves. And that's exactly what Israel did. They could have chose to follow God. They could have chose to not give in to the temptation. But yet they didn't. They chose to be disobedient. And it caused them to get, have a plague that killed 24,000 people. We must remember that even today our choices have consequences. Even today we can have an issue with sin. We're not going to skate forever. One day the ice is going to break and we're going to drown. We can't skate on ice forever with God. We cannot sin forever and think God can overlook it. There is going to be a time where that ice that we're skating on is going to get thin and it's going to break. And we're going to pay the ultimate price. We're going to be judged either in life or in death. In light of this, Israel must remember that God could never be persuaded to curse Israel except if they brought curses on themselves to their own idolatry and disobedience. We do that ourselves. We bring the idolatry, we bring the curses upon ourselves with our own idolatry and disobedience. So 2023, what is an idolatry, what is an idol in 2023? The biggest one is me. Or you. That's the biggest one. The biggest idol is me. What I want, what I desire, what I want to do, where I want to go, self. Myself. That's my biggest idol. Because what I want to do might be different than what God wants me to do. God says you need to read your word every day. Oh, well, I will after I go on Facebook. I want you to sit down and pray with me for a while. Oh, I will after I watch a few YouTube videos. Uh, oh, I want you to, you know, go, go witness to somebody. Well, I, I'm not a people person. God, sorry. I'm going to stay in the house and I'm not going to do anything. Our biggest idol is self. And unfortunately, we have so many things that are available to us to cause us to walk away. Causes us to not follow God. Social media is the downfall of our nation. Some people say, oh, well, it brings, it connects people together. Studies have shown that it does not connect people, it separates people. And causes self to be more prevalent in our lives. We're on social media in this church. As a matter of fact, we're on YouTube. And I would love it if somebody would take the responsibility of the YouTube videos 
and the Facebook pages off my shoulders. But alas, we don't have that. And I understand that we don't, and I understand that some people don't want the responsibility. I understand that. So I'll continue to do it until God raises up someone who says, you know, I feel led to do this for you. Because I'm not going to say, okay, you're doing it now. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing that. But if God raises somebody up and says, you know, Pastor, God wants me to do this, I'll say, okay. Here's the SD card. Here's the passwords. Here's all this stuff. I'll show you how to edit. I don't know, whatever. But until that happens, I'll go ahead and do it. I'll go ahead and do it. But in, in any case, social media, I'm not saying it's bad, but it has a proper place in our lives. It has a proper place. If it has too big of a place, then we have to shrink that place. And God has to have a bigger place. God has to be in the front and everything else in the back. All right. In the prophet's courtroom, God showed Israel that if they felt cursed in any way, it was entirely their responsibility. So if we feel like God's judging us, guess what? It's not God's fault. We need to be thinking about what did I do? What have I been doing? What have I been thinking? Where have I been going? What was my mindset? What has my mindset been like? Am I rebellious? Because God doesn't want to judge us. God doesn't want to do these things. God doesn't want to curse his people. But we choose it. And so we have to think about why, what is it that I'm doing? You know, a lot of people say things like, it's God's fault that this happened. It's God's fault. Some people get in a car accident and they get in their car wrecked. Sometimes those, act, those accidents can be avoided if we would not drink before getting behind the wheel. Sometimes those things happen because people choose to do what they want. Not all accidents are caused by God. God does allow them. And what is the purpose God allows accidents? Or God allows things to happen? To open our eyes and say, oh, I'm not, not where I need to be. God saved my life. There's been countless times that I've read and a couple of times in my own life where I, could have been, I should have been dead in car accidents. But yet here I stand. And what was my response prior to as being a Christian? You know, my response was, boy, I'm pretty lucky on that one. Didn't give any credit to God. I was lucky. It was God trying to wake me up. And God tries to wake us up in our curses that he gives us. In the things that he gives us. He tries to wake us up and say, open your eyes, I'm right here. Open your eyes. Look around. 
Look around. Verses 6 and 7. With what should I come before the Lord and bow down before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn of my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? The requirement. What does God require of us? He requires repentance. That's why I always say we must be a people of repentance, a people of prayer, and a people of the Word of God. We must be those things. We cannot go through life and never repent because I guarantee you we've all done things and do things on a daily basis that do not please God. So repentance has to be part of our daily life. Repentance has to be part of our daily life. This word right here has to be part of our daily life. This is how God speaks to us. This has to be part of our daily life. Prayer has to be part of our daily life. God, show me your way. Prayers like that. God will show us his way. And he'll show us, here's what you're doing that you need to stop. Or here's what you're not doing that you need to start. Here's what you need to change. God does that for us. We must be a people of his word on a daily basis. We must be a person of prayer on a daily basis and a person of repentance on a daily basis. God requires that of us if we want to follow him. If we want to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, we must be those kinds of people. We must. We must. With what shall I come before the Lord? This was a question asked out of bitterness and resentment. In Micah's imagined courtroom, Israel called out to God from the witness stand and said, just what do you want from me? How many times have we said that to our significant others or to God? Just what do you want from me, God? What do you want from me? I'm doing everything I can. I don't know what you want. God wants resent, re, repentance. God wants repentance. God wants our heart. That's what he wants. He wants our heart. Will God be pleased with 10,000 of rams, with thousands of rams, 10,000 of rivers of oil? We can almost hear Israel shouting out, shouting at God from the witness stand, you ask too much, God. Nothing will satisfy you. If we bring thousands of rams and rivers of oil or even our firstborn, it would not be enough to please you. You are unreasonable. Have you ever thought like that of God? What do you want from me, God? I give everything I have and it's not enough. We're thinking wrongly. 
God wants our heart. Our heart. If we give him our heart, then everything else will fall into place. There's a commentator, Welke. He said this, blinded to God's goodness and character, he reasons within his own depraved frame of reference. He need not change. God must change. His willingness to raise the price does not reflect his generosity, but veils the complaint that God demands too much. So that's something we see today, isn't it? We must not, we don't have to change. God's got to change. We're living the way we want to live. We see that in society. We live the way we want to live. We're doing what we want. If it feels good, do it. That's today's society's thought patterns. Well, the Bible says, well, the Bible's not right. The Bible's just a book of stories. Well, the Bible says, I don't care what the Bible says. So in a sense, we're saying God must change. God must affirm us before we affirm God in every aspect. God must affirm our behavior. God must agree with our behavior, with our thoughts, with our ideals. God must do that. We're not going to go to God and, and we're not going to affirm him. We're not going to follow him, but he must affirm us right? That's today's society. God is not going to change. Guess what? We need to change. We need to change. God is not going to affirm our behavior or our thoughts or our desires that are not of him. He is not going to affirm that. He is going to judge that. And if somebody says, well, God understands what I've been through. I had a horrible childhood, so this is why I act the way I act. Or I had a bad experience at work, so this is why I, ha I act like this or I talk like this. God understands. No, God doesn't understand. God does not have to affirm our behavior. We must follow him. We must walk in his ways. We must change, not him. Verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to, take, to, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly before your God. Now, Look at that for a moment. What is our requirement? To do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly before our God. You know what the greatest thing besides self is, our, is, our, is a big idol in our life? is pride. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished with my life. Look where I've been. Look what I've accomplished in my job. I'm, I'm second in command because I'm just that good. I've climbed the corporate ladder and I've stepped on as many heads as I had to to get there, but I'm there because I'm so good. Guess what? We're not that good. We're not that good. But God is. 
He has told you, O oh man, what is good. So what is good here? And what he requires of us to do justice and love kindness. To do justice and love kindness. Be kind. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school. Kindness. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness. Somebody does you wrong. Kindness. Somebody talks bad about you behind your back and you find out about it. Kindness. Yes, I'm not saying you shouldn't feel angry. I'm not saying you shouldn't feel bitter. But you know those feelings are human. And you know where to go with those. You go to God and say, God, help me with this. Show me what I should do. Show me how I should deal with it. And God will show you how to deal with it. Amen? We do things in our lives that are unpleasing to God, but we also do things that are pleasing to God, and we have to get that ratio different. Do more things that are pleasing and less things that are not pleasing. What does it mean to do justice? Act in a just, fair way towards others. Treat them as you'd want to be treated. Does that sound like something we, we know? The golden rule. So if you look at that and you say, treat others like you'd want to be treated. Do I like being talked bad about behind my back? No. Do I like being bullied or pushed around? No. Do I like it when people resent me? No. So I have to do the same thing. I have to be just and treat them as I would, I would want to be treated. What does it mean to walk humbly before your God? Remember who I am, your God. If you keep that in mind, you will walk humbly before me. Remember that God is in control. God is the one that you follow, not ourselves. He is God. He has our back. He is the one we follow. We walk humbly before him. What does it mean to love mercy? Don't just show mercy, but love to show mercy. Love it. Give others the same measure of mercy you want to receive from me. That's God speaking. This goes hand in hand with treat others as you want to be treated. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon says this, I would not advise any of you to try to be humble, but to be humble. You get that? Don't try it, just be it. As to acting humbly, when a man forces himself to do it, that is poor stuff. When a man talks a great deal about his humility when he is very humble to everyone, he is generally a canting hypocrite. Humility must be in the heart, and then it will come out spontaneously as the overflow of life in the act of a man that a man performs. So if somebody says, well, hmm, I'm so humble. I'm such a humble guy. What is that really saying? They're pretty proud of themselves, aren't they, for being humble? 
So that's like an oxymoron, right? Spurgeon's sermon, Micah's message for today, applied the idea of how to walk humbly before your God. So this is some things that Spurgeon said. Walk humbly when you are spiritually strong. Number two, walk humbly when you have much work to do. Number three, walk humbly in all your motives. Number four, walk humbly studying God's word. Number five, walk humbly when under trials. Number five, walk humbly in your devotions. Number six, walk humbly between you and your brothers in Christ. Number seven, walk humbly when dealing with sinners. So there's a few things here. Walk humbly when studying God's word. How much do we study God's word? That's a question. I'm not going to say, hey, raise your hand if you read your Bible every day. I'm not going to say that. But I want us to think about how much we study God's word. Do we need to grow in that? I do. I need to grow in that. Walk humbly in your devotions. Do we need to grow in devotions? I do. Walking humbly between you and your brothers in Christ. I need to grow in that too. Walk humbly when dealing with sinners. I need to grow in this. So all these things were not something to say, okay, I'm doing okay in these. These are things to say, oh man, I need to grow in these seven areas of my life. I need to grow in every single area that he's mentioning here. And Charles Spurgeon was not a man to be prideful. He was saying things, saying this because he too realized he needed to grow in these areas. And they're timeless. He once again, he said, true humility is thinking rightly of thyself, not meanly. When you have found out what you really are, you will be humble. For you are nothing to boast of. To be humble will make you safe. To be humble will make you happy. To be humble will make music in your heart when you go to bed. To be humble will make you wake up in the likeness of your master by and by. You want to be humble because it makes you more like Jesus. It makes you more like Jesus. It's easier to follow in the fruits of the Spirit. It's easier to show kindness. It's easier to show love. It's easier in every aspect. Amen? It's easier. Verses 9 through 12. The voice of the Lord calls to the city, and wisdom will fear your name. Heed the rod of him who has appointed it. Appointed it. There are still in the house of the wicked treasures of wickedness and the short ephah, which is accursed. Should I acquit the scales of wickedness and the sack of dishonest weights? Her wealthy men are full of violence and her inhabitants speak deception and their tongue in their mouths is treachery. Israel felt the rod of God, but they did not hear it. 
God tells them to hear the rod before they, they in, in, in the sense of the rod as a picture of the corrective discipline of God. And in the sense that the rod can be personified as the voice of God himself. So the discipline that God gives us, think of it as God telling you himself, which he is by the spirit of God, that we are to do differently, be more humble. Amen? Now, in the problem of pain, C.S. Lewis had this to say. We can rest contently in our sins and in our stup stupidities, and anyone who has watched gluttons shoveling down the most exquisite foods as if they did not know what they were eating will admit that we can ignore even pleasure. But pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So we go through things, and it brings pain. That is God saying, wake up! That is God rousing a deaf world. That is God rousing a sleepless and a sleep, sleepiness of this world. The pain that we feel. That is God bringing us to our knees, saying, wake up. God wants us to wake up. He desires that. Verse 13 to the end of the chapter. Therefore I have struck you a dreadful blow, devastating you because of your sins. You will eat but not be satisfied with hunger within you. You will set aside but not retain. And what you retain I will give over to the sword. You will sow but not reap. You will tread olives but not anoint yourselves with oil. You will crush grapes, but not drink wine. You observe the statues of Omri and every practice of the house of Ahab, and you walk in their counsels. Therefore, I will give you over to destruction. And the inhabitants of Derishan, you will bear the contempt of my people. God is saying here, he's going to give them up to their deceitful minds. Like he did in Romans 1. He gave them up to their reprobate minds. Why? Why would God do this at the end of this chapter? In hopes they would turn back to him. It was the whole story in the Old Testament, the whole story in the books of Exodus Deuteronomy and Numbers. God wanted his people to turn back to him. God chose them. And they rebelled and rebelled and rebelled. And he brought judgment in hopes that they would turn back. And not only turn back for the moment, but turn back forever. 
God wants us to turn back forever. Not just for the moment. Not just till the pain stops. But forever. Forever. You shall eat but not be satisfied. What you do rescue, I will give over to the sword. God promised a tragic end for their ill-gotten gains. He would allow them to allow them no satisfaction or blessing in what they possessed. Instead of wa walking in the ways of the Lord, they walked in a sinful example of wicked kings before them and in the counsels of the ungodly. Now, God said you're not going to be satisfied. You will not feel any relief until you repent. Until you give yourself over to me. You will not feel any satisfaction. You will not feel blessing. And that's a word for us today and for our society today. We say, oh, this, you know, we are so, we are so, some people say this nation is blessed. Some people say it's cursed. Some people say it's we're under judgment. Well, guess what? I would lean in the camp of we are, we are under judgment in our nation. And we are not going to feel any blessing of God or any satisfaction in God as a nation until our nation repents. We won't. And it starts with you and me. It starts with what we do and how we are with God. And what we do and how we act and who we are in God, that then flows out of us onto other people by our actions and our deeds and our thoughts. And as we do those things, other people are changed. Everything, every conversation we have, every decision we make automatically affects eight people, or 12 people, excuse me, 12 people. <clears throat> so if we were to change our heart, change our minds, change our actions today, and we showed it out in a place like a local store, we could affect 12 people in one action. Good or bad, we affected 12 people with one change in our life. Maybe we walked more humbly before God and we were more kind and we were more loving and we showed the love of God and we showed the goodness of God to one person. Guess what? That immediately affects 12 people. So it starts with me. It starts with you. We want our nation to turn back to God. It starts with me. <clears throat> it starts with my kindness toward others. It starts with my ability to share God's word with others. It starts with me. We can't lead. We can't sit, sit back in our chairs, in our easy chairs, and watch the news and say, well, you know what? Our president needs to repent, or our governor needs to repent, or our, or our leaders need to repent. That might be so, but what about us? What about my repentance? What about your repentance? What about your uh, and my ability to do what God's called us to do? It starts with me. And it starts with you. Amen.
Let's go before the Lord, shall we? Father, we thank you today for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that, Lord, we are able to go through this book. And, Lord, to see that a lot of these things that we're reading about and studying are not only for the times of the prophets, but also for the times in which we live today. Thank you, Father, for opening our eyes to see that you are with us when we're with you and you are against us when we're not with you. Open our eyes, Lord, to our faults. Open our eyes to the things that we need to change. Lord, open our eyes that we too would become true followers of God, true followers of Jesus. Allow us to have, Lord, a wonderful time of peace in your presence when we follow you. Lord, give us the ability to have a hunger for you and your word and your presence. Help us to be hungry for the things of God, that the only thing that could quench it was spending time with you, that we would grow in grace and knowledge of God and we would follow after you. Lord, thank you for this opportunity for today to where we can look at ourselves and we can say, I'm not where I need to be. Or we can look at ourselves and we can say, I re re recognize that I need to change. I recognize that I need to start something or stop something. I recognize where I've gotten it wrong. And Lord, lead us in repentance as we see that. And Lord, we thank you for that and we give you praise. Be with us now as we sing. Go with us as we leave this building. And Lord, minister to us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Stepping Stones of Faith. I pray that you find value in this content. You can also find an audio podcast of this program on all the major podcasting platforms. Just type Stepping Stones of Faith into the podcast search bar. Once again, I'm Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me today.